Hello, Sunnybrook family, and welcome to our first online service of what will hopefully be a little bit better of a year, 2021. We are starting things off in the Gospel of Luke, and I trust that we will have a good time as we do. Now, for many of you who have been able to attend here in person in the sanctuary, you may not have been aware of how some of the, uh, the decor has been changing. Um, uh, on November 29th, that was the beginning of the season called Advent, we started to add blue things into the sanctuary. And, uh, and what we've done is we've really tried to make it a point to observe what's known as the Christian calendar, which doesn't quite follow the, uh, the civic calendar, if you will, January through December. Really, the Christian calendar goes from Advent through this strange season called Ordinary Time. And along the way, it remembers certain holidays that you'll be quite familiar with. But you might be able to see over my left shoulder here that the, the banner that we've built, although it's made of wood, so banner is a loose term. Um, the banner that we've built is no longer blue, but now it's white. And what we're going to do is we're going to regularly change those out as the seasons go. So I'm going to have Steve put the... the um, the, the banners that we've been working from the, to build our own on the screen. And you'll notice that they go from blue, which represents Advent, to white, which represents Christmas. And then after a little bit of time, we'll move into a preparation, a season of preparation for Easter known as Lent. And that is represented by the purple banner. And you can even notice the, the four nails in there with the red spot. It's kind of this beautiful symbolism that, uh, that images the, the holes in Jesus' hands. And then we get Easter. You get this beautiful gold banner with the bursting forth, the, the starburst or the sunburst, which really represents coming out of the tomb. And then um, uh, further down the line, we'll move into a time known as Pentecost, where we'll have this beautiful time celebrating the ministry of the Holy Spirit, symbolized by the dove and the red banner that um, helps us remember the, the flames in Acts chapter 2. And then we'll move into ordinary time, which is a time where we reflect on the implications of the gospel. But all that to say, those of you who unfortunately cannot be with us here in the building, we want you to be able to, to kind of observe these seasons with us because we think that they're actually really important for our discipleship. And if I were to boil all of those colors down into all those seasons, down into two major sections of the Christian year, that would be the front section is we regularly rehearse the gospel. The story of Jesus, his life, his ministry, his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. And then in the latter half, symbolized by the green banners, the ordinary time, we will, we will focus on the implications of the gospel. And it really helps us, I believe, as, as, um, as followers of Christ, remember the story that makes us who we are, and then remember what it looks like to live out that story in real time. So... All of that to say, uh, maybe these little, these little colors over our shoulders can be a helpful way and a reminder to understand what it is that we're trying to do as we worship together, which brings us to our text. So you recall that we've just come through Advent, preparing for the Messiah, and then Christmas. Drew preached on Sunday about the coming of the Messiah and the, the purity that he brings. And here we are in Luke chapter 2, talking about his presentation, his, his development as he is preparing for his ministry. This is one of those strange stories that we get of his youth. So in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 41, every year his parents traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom of the festival after those days were over, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming he was in the traveling party, they went a day's journey. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all those who heard him were astounded at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked them. Didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. 
His mother kept all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Sunnybrook, and Happy New Year, and welcome to 2021. I went back and I had to count, and this will be the 17th time that I will have stood before this congregation and shared with them a sermon, inviting them to think, inviting us to look back on a year that has been and to look forward to the year that is still coming. But of the 16 that I've done, none of them feel like this. It's a lot like Christmas Eve, where my wife and I, with our son Max and um, our daughter-in-law Haley, had an opportunity to sit and to watch online our service, which was helpful and encouraging and uh, just not the way that we wanted it to be. But we need to make the best of difficult and complicated circumstances. And so we sat there as a family and, and we tried. We, we worked really hard to make the most of limited circumstances. And so that's kind of, I think, how many of us are looking at the close of 2020 and eagerly anticipating a new 2021. In light of that, I went back and I looked at a lot of the messages that I've spoken on over the last 16 years, and many of them literally look like that. Let's look back and see all that God has done at the previous year, and let's give thanks to Him for all that He has done, which is good to do. And then we stop kind of midway through the sermon and we look, let's look forward to what God is going to do and let's remember what God has done and then let's look forward to what's happening in the future. And all of those seem very true and, and real and appropriate, but looking at this year, um, we really felt as though it was just time to, to jump right in. Um, we are starting a series that is going to be running from now up, and, up through Easter where we are going to be looking at the life of Jesus Christ. Now listen, we don't want to forget that today is January 3rd, and it is the first Sunday of 2021. And I think collectively we're all taking a um, kind of like a temporary sigh of possible relief, knowing that 2020 and all of its complications are not completely done. But we're hopeful that a new year is upon us, and, and we, we believe that God will continue to be kind and to provide and to protect us. We are hopeful that 2021 is going to be better than what 2020 was. And, and we couldn't think of a better way for us to do this than by jumping right in and recognizing that what we should be doing this morning is looking at what God has taught us and what God's Word specifically teaches us about the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. And so this, this series that we're looking at is going to be focusing on the gospel of Jesus. Now, there are four accounts of the gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospels, that tell very similar stories about who Jesus was and what Jesus did. And, and then we have that fourth gospel, the gospel of John. Most people, that's their favorite gospel, in which it also speaks in very different ways, but also speaks a uniform message about the person of Jesus Christ and his life and his ministry. And so from now until Easter, we are going to be as a church engaging 2021 with the gospel, not of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, although they're the ones that recorded it. They're the accounts that we are going to read, but the gospel that comes from Jesus. And we're doing so because we believe that what we need is the people of God and what God has given to us as one of his greatest gifts is his word and the accounts of Jesus' life and teaching so that you, can I, you and I can face what 2021 is going to bring at us. Because 2021 is not a thing. It's just time. But the one sovereign over time and the one directing our steps and the one leading us and the one empowering us and the one encouraging us is God himself, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And we are here as the people of God to respond to him. And so here we are looking back at a very complicated year and looking forward, hopefully, to a 
to a better year. And I've heard a lot of statements about, wow, we sure didn't see this coming. Um, I, I want to begin, actually, kind of our, our, our look at um, how, how, how this story from Luke chapter 2 is going to really kind of set the stage by, by looking at what are, what are those things that you and I can be certain of and those things that you and I really cannot be certain of. I, I don't know if you go here. I went here. The two things you can be certain of, did you go there? Well, I had to go back and research this. I knew the phrase, but I never knew the context of the phrase, and I didn't know who wrote it. Maybe you don't either. Well, you're about to find out. His name was Benjamin Franklin. Here's the entire sentence. Our new constitution is now established. Everything seems to promise it will be durable. Speaking about the constitution. But in this world, nothing is certain except death and taxes. <laughs> That's Benjamin Franklin's statement. And there's a number of things that I take issue with um, from people from the past. And so why should Benjamin Franklin be any different? There's nothing to be certain except death and taxes. Actually, that's not true. That even the gospel accounts are, are going to remind us of, about taxes and their place. Jesus is going to have a word about that. But even death is not certain. That's how the gospel ends. So I want us to look at Luke chapter 2 and this story about Jesus as an encounter at the temple and for us to look at the time and the times in which we live and particularly the time in which we find ourselves right now looking back and looking forward and to believe as the people of God that really there is only one thing that is certain and that is God and his plan for us and his word. Like that's the one thing that is certain, that even death is suspended, that even taxes, and I, I'm assuming that's kind of the dig that Benjamin Franklin was trying to make, but, but even those have a time. But the one thing that endures, is that what you're looking for this morning? Just one thing that endures, and, and that is going to be God and His Word and His plan for us. And that is why what you and I are going to see, one of the earliest accounts of Jesus with his family and Jesus with the religious leaders, is one that is so unlike any other one. Most people uh, wish of all the things that are missing from the gospel accounts, things that Jesus did, and periods in, in which he lived and did things, probably the most... Uh, kind of the one the thing that we want the most to hear about that is absent is actually his growing up years. We see Jesus, and Luke is the only one that records this, we see Jesus being presented at the temple when he is really, really young. Again, showing the faithfulness, kind of the, uh, the piety, the religious diligence that Joseph and Mary had. We see that in Luke's gospel. He records that also in Luke chapter 2. And then we see here at the end of the chapter, Jesus and his family continually demonstrating their faithfulness to what God has required. Um, we actually get a, a picture of um, Jesus and his engagement with the religious leaders, which we're going to see all throughout Luke's gospel. But we're going to see something rather different in this particular, the, the first account that Jesus has with the religious leaders. But the first thing I think that we should look at as we prepare to learn from Jesus and we prepare to learn more about Jesus, is that there have already been a number of statements that have been made about who he is and, and what he is about. And so these first few things that we're going to look at all come from Luke's gospel. I kind of want to use this morning for our study kind of the, what I'll call the guardrails of Luke. I mean, we could dip into Matthew or Mark or John in terms of different things about who Jesus is and what Jesus said. But, but today, since Luke is the only one that has this account, I, I want to try to use Luke as a, as, a, as a bit of a barrier for us to focus on how Luke wants you and I to see Jesus this morning. And so in Luke's gospel, there are a number of statements that are made about Jesus. The angel, Gabriel, makes probably one of the most powerful statements about Jesus. He speaks this about him in chapter 1, verses 31 through 33. You will conceive and give birth to a son, speaking to Mary, and you are to call him Jesus, and he will be great 
and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So that is what Gabriel says, and and I want to just stop for a moment, and we need to acknowledge this. Gabriel, unless the Lord has spoken to him, does not fully understand nor appreciate the full extent of who Jesus is and what Jesus was about to do. In fact, Peter, later on, is going to make a statement that the angels look into the gospel, which is the good news about Jesus and the kingdom he was going to provide and the kingdom that he was going to give and the kingdom where he was going to reign, that angels look into the gospel with great desire. They longingly look into the gospel, the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus. And they, can I say this? The angels stand amazed. And I think part of that amazement has to be they cannot, truly, I believe only God can, fully unpack, fully understand, fully realize who Jesus is and what Jesus is going to accomplish in terms of God's plan. That's why we shouldn't be surprised that this this idea is going to continue. The shepherds are going to make a statement in chapter 2, verse 20. The shepherds return, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. That's kind of how the account of the shepherds end. This is a first thought I had this Christmas. I don't know why I thought it. But I'm thinking to myself, there was a day, that very first Christmas, maybe all this Advent stuff that we've been working through, kind of drew me back into that time and trying to rethink what it would have been like to be there at the very first Christmas. And the shepherds show up and they're amazed at this child. And, and then it, they're, done, they're, they're done worshiping him and, and being in awe of who he is. And by the way, he's a baby. Mary and Joseph are there. The shepherds are, wow, this is the Messiah. This is the Messiah. And and then after a while, they go home, and, and, and they wander wherever back to where they're sleeping, probably in a field somewhere, and then they just go to sleep. And I, at first time I've ever really thought this, like, what was really different for them? Like, literally, they saw the angels, that would be pretty amazing, they see this baby, Wow. But Jesus isn't there doing any marvels. Jesus is not wowing them with his kingly presence or his kingly power. Jesus is just a baby. Mary and Joseph are two, just a poor, young-ish couple from Nazareth. And the shepherds go off and then they live out the rest of their lives not fully understanding and not fully appreciating the baby that they just came to see and to worship. That's why we see it again. Chapter 2, verse 29, Simeon is going to see. Simeon was promised, you will not close your eyes in death until you see the consolation of Israel. And, and, And Simeon responds back when he sees Jesus. Again, a small child. Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you have promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation, you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. And then Simeon watched Mary and Joseph take their child away. Sure, he could die in peace. He, he never saw any of the, the wonders or the marvels that Jesus is going to produce. He never fully understood. He saw, but he never really saw He was able to rejoice, but in the end, there is, in Gabriel's pronouncement and in Simeon's pronouncement, there is still a, I don't fully understand what I'm saying, and I don't really understand what I'm seeing, but I'm going to praise God anyway. I think we see that with Anna, too. The the last one, Anna is going to make a similar statement. Anna says, in her testimony, at that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel, Gabriel and the shepherds and Simeon and Anna. In all this in Luke's account, chapters 1 and 2, they're seeing Jesus and they're recognizing him for something. God's redemption of Israel, the one who will come and save his people, um, the one who will bring 
light and hope to the Gentiles, and yet there's no way they fully understand who Jesus is. Maybe that's something for you and I to just stop and to be humbled by this morning. But before we break into what Jesus is going to say, you do realize that all the testimonies that you and I can make about Jesus and all the things that Jesus has done, let's stop for a moment and look back in our past at all that Jesus has done, all of his provision and protection, even though, no, all the way through this very difficult year, and we talk about God's love and his plan and his purpose, his provision and his protection. Wow, wasn't God good and wasn't God good and wasn't God good? And, and yet, I, I hope that you and I can stop and learn from what Luke is presenting that we still do not fully understand nor appreciate the depths of who Jesus is or who God is or what God has done. That you and I are more like shepherds and angels and like Simeon and Anna that never really get to see the full story of God unfold. That all you and I get is days and weeks and months and for some of us years upon years upon years. And even with that, even the ones of us that live the longest, every statement that we make and every understanding that we have always fits within a larger story, a larger picture about who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ has done, who God is and his cosmic and eternal plan. The best thing for you and I to do, to give thanks for what God has done and then to look hopefully in expectation at God's continued provision and protection is to stop with deep humility and realize the far-reaching and unending truth about Jesus is our greatest joy. It is our greatest understanding. And, and by the way, it is by our nature, temporary. It, it is limited. It all comes from a certain perspective. And again, I think that this might guide us this might um, humble us in a way in which we can continue to see the mercy of God or the kindness of God or the provision of God unfold before us, that it is in God's mercy that you and I see new things being provided and His protection over us day by day, by month, by, by year. So Jesus finally stands up and speaks in our account for today as we see that there have others that have spoken about him. But now in our encounter, we actually see Mary and Joseph, and they've left Jerusalem. So how this whole encounter begins is it's the Passover time. There were three festivals in which all faithful Jewish families should travel to Jerusalem to celebrate the festival. Obviously, them being a poorer family and traveling up from the northern area in Nazareth um, would have not most likely been able to make it for all of the festivals throughout the year. This is the one, Passover, this is the one that seems to be the most important. Uh, by the gospel accounts, they love to focus on the Passover and how important that is. And here we have Jesus and his family coming to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. The family, with all that it entails, now heads back to Nazareth. And what happens? Jesus is left behind, and they don't find out for a while, and Mary and Joseph recognize Jesus is missing. They thought he was with, obviously their family is coming down in a larger group, and they're all going down together, and they realize, after a full day is gone, where is Jesus? They turn around, they head back, they look for him in Jerusalem, and then they find him in the temple. And it is in that moment when Mary and Joseph seem to be frustrated with what Jesus has done, and then Jesus speaks to them, this 12-year-old youth, at the age of 12 actually, was the time in Jewish tradition which was considered the age of discernment. They kind of become somewhat men at the age of 13. Um, but age 12 was, was known as kind of the age of discernment, where they were beginning to, or that was the age in which they assumed the responsibility to hear and to be faithful to the law of God. And so maybe that's why Luke records this story as it is already told 
an account that Jesus had, probably more than anyone else, it describes the birth of Jesus and then the dedication of Jesus. And here we have Jesus in the temple at the age of 12. And when Mary and Joseph are upset, and why have you treated us this way? Why have you acted this way? Jesus responds back, and he's not being a smart aleck. He's not some kind of um, rebellious adolescent. No, but Jesus responds back with a very interesting question. Look at this in verse 48 of the text. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? Didn't you know? Now, what's interesting is is that you, you really need to kind of look at this in its original Greek construction to get kind of the full sense. Didn't you know? There, there was a song that came out a number of years ago. Um, I remember when it was all the rage and kind of everybody sang it every Christmas time. Um, the song, Mary, Did You Know? Mary, Did You Know? And, and basically, the whole song just rehearses over and over and over again. Mary, did you know about this baby? And did you know about who he was and what he was about? And actually what Luke records over and over and over again is that Mary didn't know. Here's Jesus' statement. Didn't you know? And yet the construction of this sentence is worded in such a way that Jesus is implying, is implying yes, like you should have known. Now, I don't know if what Jesus is, is thinking about is But the angel spoke to you, mom, and the angel revealed who I was. The angel revealed that that I'm not just an ordinary boy, that I'm not from Joseph, who I would call like my my earthly father. But no, but there is my heavenly father. Like Jesus has an awareness here, and he says to Mary and Joseph, didn't you know he's not trying to smart off at them? Because Luke goes out of his way to point out that Jesus grew up. Um, faithfully under the submission and under the care of his parents. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? This is the testimony that Jesus makes about himself. He understands something about his identity and about his purpose. And he wants his mom and dad, Mary and Joseph, to know that his design and that his intent and that what he has been called by God to do is going to be front and center of all of his earthly work. Everything that he's going to do, he is going to be following and he is going to be obeying and he is going to be seeking after his father's, his true father's will. And and, and that's why it's not strange to actually see in the gospel accounts Jesus to respectfully still honoring his family, but rubbing against them. Because Jesus is pointing out in his testimony about himself, like, didn't you know, mom and dad, didn't you know that I had to be, I must be in my father's house? And it's in this account, you, what you and I actually see, and what we actually look at in terms of what, what the text what the text says is the text describes Jesus in terms of of what he was doing. It says in verse 46 of the text, after three days they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all those who heard them were astounded at his understanding and his answers. What what we actually see in this particular account is Jesus' love and Jesus' devotion to the Word of God And then to, with that word of God, engaging around him the people. Sometimes the people of God, sometimes the crowd, sometimes his disciples, sometimes his enemies. But Jesus is one who is going to be, in Luke's gospel account, completely devoted to the instruction of, the understanding of, the explanation of God's intentional word. And so what I want us to do this morning, as we kind of walk away from this, um, with, with two things that we can um, hopefully hold on to this year. Again, looking back and being grateful and looking forward and being hopeful, what are some things that never really change? And what Luke chapter 2 encourages us with this morning is that you and I should take a long look at who God is and what God has accomplished for us, and, and particularly what this text is going to teach us is that we have something in our hands that even Jesus at the age of 12 
gives great uh, recognition to, great credence to. He understands it and he engages it and he does so faithfully. So the first thing I want to encourage us to do and challenge us to remain faithful to is to not trivialize the importance of knowing and obeying the Scriptures. We see in Jesus a devotion to know and to obey. And I really want to look at this, and please, I don't want to try to separate those things. To know the Scriptures, the Old Testament teaches rather strongly, is to know the Scriptures or to know God is to love Him and to fear Him and to obey Him. And to love and to fear and to obey the Lord is to actually to know the words in which He has spoken. And so you and I this morning can, can learn from the example of Jesus and then be devoted to the example of Scripture that we should not trivialize the importance of simultaneously engaging in, 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 in learning and discerning and understanding and applying. And I, I want for us as a congregation in 2021 um, to renew our conviction to both know and to obey the Scriptures. We talked about the Go, Gather, Grow pieces of our discipleship plan, and I, I believe it really affects all of them. It affects our going and our gathering and our growing. But when we talk about to grow, what we are focusing on, what we are celebrating, what we are dedicated to, is a growing in our understanding of and obedience to, to God, to Jesus, to the work of the Spirit in our lives, to the Word that He has given us. Jesus was devoted to knowing and obeying. Um, I, I think what happens to us, and so I don't, I don't know if you're here right now, um, I don't trivialize it. I, I don't. I don't, I, I don't trivialize it. Now, listen, you might not trivialize it in the sense of completely disregard it or completely push it to the side or completely disregard it. That's not what I'm saying. Sometimes we can be guilty of trivializing the Word of God by assuming that us coming and gathering together and opening up the Word on Sunday, and that's really all of your engagement, that's trivializing it. That's somehow limiting the Word of God to a particular location or a particular occasion. Yeah, the Bible is something that we look at every Sunday. Yeah, that's, that's not what we actually see in Luke 2. We, we see Jesus spending a large amount of time at a very young age discussing. Um, and I love how the text actually says, listening to them and asking them questions. And when they heard him, they were astounded at his understanding and his answers. So obviously we see in Jesus someone who recognizes that the power of the Word of God and the importance of the Word of God is something to do that more than just one particular location or occasion. Others of us can be guilty of um, trivializing the Word of God by relegating it to certain aspects in our lives like this. In times of trouble, yeah, I was, I was driven back to the Word of God because 2020 was a really hard year. I, I was driven back to the Word of God because things were really, really hard and my marriage or some time with my children or my business was not, and I was just driven back to the Word of God. Can we just stop for a moment and just acknowledge that something, something was broken in me? That, that somehow I believe that the Word of God has greater value or greater importance when I find myself in need, now, now listen, the Word of God is a wonderful place to go when you find yourself in need. And it is not only a place to go when you're in need, but a place to regularly go. I would even say that please do not use the Word of God as just a kind of a fail stop, as a, just a safety device. Like, when the Bible, we just finished this series through the book of Psalms, and when the Bible talks about the Word of God, it talks about it as something that we meditate on it day and night. 
It is something about that we, we love and we find ourselves devoted to it, that the Word of God is coming out of our mouths and it is just motivating our heart. It is, it is the air that we breathe. It is one of the, the presence of God and, and, and His Word is something that we just pant for like, like, like a deer that just needs water. This is the description of the Word of God. This is the depiction that we actually see of Jesus. And this is the picture that you and I should have of our own lives. This is the picture that our children should see of us, that the Word of God is not something that we look at occasionally or circumstantially, but the Word of God is something, I mean, I've, I've been moved by this. Um, through the period, through the, through the looking at the, the, the book of Psalms, I, I just had to stop and, and, and admit, just admit like that picture of the one who is building their life on God's word, who is wrapping their entire life around God's word, like that's not me. I, I want to be that person. I, I, I desire to be that person. But there are times in which that's not me. And, and by the way, that doesn't mean all we do is read the Bible. So don't go there. That, that's another way of trivializing it, by the way. I, I meet too many people, and I find myself here as well, you know, all we, we can't just sit and read the Bible all the time. Yep, no, nobody's saying we should. But to consistently, to on a number of different occasions and in a number of different circumstances, to allow, to permit, to desire the Word of God to influence and to shape our relationships and the way that we think. I, I've heard people describe our church and believe that, man, discipleship is the one thing we have down. It's not the one thing we have down. It, it's, it's not something that we have done and now we move on. No, like what we actually see in, the Luke's, in Luke's gospel, in this picture of Jesus, is someone who is going to consistently go back to the Word of God. The Word of God is not something that you and I figure out and then go out and do. And then we come here and we learn about the Word of God and then we go out and then we do. That, that's, it, is a, it, is a, it is a constant. It is, a, it is an ebb and it is a flow. It is a, a part of our, the fabric of our lives and the fabric of what we do here and the fabric of what we do in our homes and the fabric of what we do in the workplace. And so we got to be careful that we do not in any way, shape, or form trivialize it. Look at the moments in which Jesus stands up and uses the Word of God. He uses it. This will come up. He uses it when he confronts the devil. We actually see Jesus doing this when he confronts the Pharisees, who, by the way, studied the Word of God a bunch. And yet Jesus does not say to them, you know, your problem is, Jesus never says this. I hear us talk like this. You know, the, the problem with certain Christians is that they just spend too much time in the Word of God. Jesus never spoke like that. The, the Bible nowhere speaks like that. What Jesus actually does do with people who are like Pharisees who study the Word of God and study the Word of God and study the Word of God, he never faults them for their study. He accuses them of not allowing that study to infect or to affect the rest of their behavior. What Jesus accuses them of is not understanding the spirit of that law which was given to them. That's the accusation that Jesus makes. Jesus never says, you know your problem? The problem is you're spending too much time in the Word and not enough time making a difference in the world. The Bible does not know of such a thing. And I believe we need to stop trivializing the Word of God by pitting, going out and acting like Jesus with our study and our understanding of who He is. We definitely don't see that in the life of Jesus. He confronts the devil with the Word of God. He uh, confronts the Pharisees with the Word of God. He uh, explains even confusion, the Sadducees who were not really devoted to the Word of God like the Pharisees were. He uses the Word of God to expose their false beliefs. And it is the Word of God that Jesus actually gives to his own disciples. And may 2021 be a year in which we find ourselves being grounded and centered because that's what we needed in 2020. In, in 2020, what you and I needed to be and to do is to be more grounded and sure in God and in who He is and in Jesus and in who He is to recognize from the Word of God the far-reaching and the unending truth about Jesus. That's what we need. In, instead of us looking at circumstances changing, oh, I sure hope this vaccine changes things. 
you know what I need more than the vaccine to change things? I need this word of God to get so inside of me that no matter what is happening around me, that I am sure, that I am steady. That's what we need as the people of God. Please tell me that in 2021, you are not looking for circumstances to somehow change. Has God not given us what we need? If I could go back before 2020 hit, if I could go back and prepare myself, it's not toilet paper that I needed. It's not loading up on um, zinc and uh, vitamin D, making sure that I have enough masks. No, like those things have taken care of themselves. What I needed to calm my heart, what I needed to encourage my mind, what I needed to steady my hands is actually a greater understanding of who God is and what God has promised and what God will continue to promise. The last thing I want us to look at, do not trivialize the importance of knowing and obeying Scripture. And please do not sell short the identity and mission of Jesus. In the same way that I, I don't want us to trivialize and then pointed out some times in which I think the majority of us would say, I don't trivialize. But if we stop and realize it, we do more than we think. Do not sell short the identity and mission of Jesus. Again, I, I just couldn't help but think, Gabriel didn't fully know. Um, Anna couldn't have fully understood. The shepherds no way knew. What, what I, the disciples spent three years with Jesus, right? And it seemed like every day they could make incredible statements. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then the next day, not fully understood. It's not like they forgot that statement. They didn't realize that that statement, you are the Son of God. You are the Son of the living God. You are the Son of, uh, son of Man. Uh, you are the one who can forgive sins. It's that just they didn't realize the far-reaching, unending implications of what they just said. And that's what you and I get an opportunity to experience this year as we focus in and around the Word of God. And so may you and I learn from people like Simeon and Anna and the shepherds and Mary and Joseph and just humble ourselves and admit there are things about who Jesus is. There are things about what Jesus has said. There are things about the implications of who Jesus is that are still pushing me in my walk with Him. Twice we get this statement from Mary, or about Mary. In Luke chapter 2, verse 19, and in Luke chapter 2, verse 51, it says this. First of all, in Luke chapter 2, 19, Mary hears this amazing statement, and it says, And Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. She's listening. She already heard what the angel said, and she's listening to what the shepherds are saying, and she's just trying to go, Okay, I don't quite get what's happening here. Then again, we see in Luke chapter 2, verse 51, this is at the end of our encounter, Jesus makes this bold statement. She sees Jesus teaching the religious leaders of his day. And it just says this, and his mother kept all of these things in her heart. Um, what, what, that, what that is describing is just that Mary had to think about these things and think about these things and process these things. And the truth about Jesus just kept unfolding before her. It's interesting that Jesus is going to make this rather bold statement about what he must do. He says, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? And Jesus is going to make this statement a number of times in the gospel. He's going to say in Luke chapter 4, verse 43, so what must Jesus do? He must be in his father's house. Luke chapter 4, verse 43, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God in the other towns also because that is why I was sent. The majority of times, though, Jesus is speaking what he must do in terms of his person and in terms of his identity. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Do not be confused about who I am. But the most, most common phrase that Jesus uses when he describes what he must do is found in Luke chapter 9, where he describes in verse 22 his mission and his person. And in the same way, I don't want us to confuse knowing Scripture and obeying Scripture because they're meant to be together. The identity of Jesus and the mission of Jesus are also together. Jesus doesn't have an identity which is sometimes connected to its, no, it's his mission and his identity. 
And Jesus wraps it up with this. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. This is what must happen to Jesus. Three times he uses that phrase. This is what must happen to me. And you want to know why? Because that aspect of his identity and his mission is the most difficult for you and I to acknowledge. That Jesus' identity and mission involves sacrifice and rejection and humiliation and pain. It, It involves us being stretched to the very end of ourselves, as Jesus liked to point out, if this is what they're going to do to the teacher, if this is what they're going to do to the master, then how are they going to treat the servants? And you and I must not sell short the far-reaching, unending truths about Jesus and those implications as they have effect on our lives. It's interesting that at the very end, we actually see in Jesus' ministry with Um, his disciples, he walks with them in Luke 24. This is the last time he uses that phrase that something must happen. And and, and this hopefully will kind of give us some real sense of peace and purpose as we uh, bring this sermon to a close and as we prepare to embrace 2021. He says to his disciples as he reveals who he is and what he is all about, he says, this is what I told you when I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. See, Jesus looks back at those Old Testament passages that sometimes you and I trivialize and says, this is what I said had to happen. Don't you understand? Like, God has a purpose and that God has a way and it's going to work and it's not going to be the way that you expect and it's not going to unfold exactly like you want. None of us would would bring about what, what brought about our own salvation, what God did through Jesus Christ, none of us could see and none of us could predict, just like 2020. And yet, looking back on the story of Jesus and the person of Jesus, looking back at what those scriptures teach about who he is and about what he did, you and I are able to celebrate the goodness. We're able to celebrate God's provision and God's protection over us in every way. And and therefore, you and I have an opportunity to to head into 2021 in in a much better place than we ever could have if we hadn't experienced the difficulties of this past year. I hope and pray that you and I can be grateful for those things, that you and I can actually see in the midst of it all God's kindness to us. By looking at the person of Jesus and realizing that this wonderful Passover that God had intended for ultimately for the people of Israel to find their salvation, that then the very first Passover, God passes over their firstborn sons, but another day is going to come when he is not going to pass over. Another day is going to come when instead of passing over his son, he is going to sacrifice his son. And that is why what I want you and I to do right now is to conclude our time by by having communion together. So please go and, and make sure that the communion is there and let us remember what God has done for us in Jesus by celebrating this meal together. And so we take the bread which symbolizes his body that was given for us. And we eat it together, remembering God's provision and protection. And we take the cup. This would have been the third cup in the Passover meal, the cup of redemption. And we drink it, remembering what God did for us through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you for who you are and for what you've done. We thank you for Jesus and for the way in which you have taught us and the way in which you have loved us and the way in which you have freed us and forgiven us. And so, Father, we come to you right now and we give you thanks for everything that Jesus is, even though we do not know fully all of what that means. But we stop right now and we give you thanks for him. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Thank you for joining us um, on this online service. want you to know that um, we sure do miss you and we appreciate our time to be together and even this opportunity for us to continue to worship even though we can't do it uh, together in person. Um, we want you to know that even though you're not able to be here, um, we continue to pray for you here and would ask you to pray for us as well um, that we can do everything that we can to continue to be the body of Christ. We also remember um, at the start of this year about our um, responsibility to be able to give back, to fulfill the missions and the purposes of God and His kingdom, um, not only here in Stillwater, but throughout the world. And so you'll see uh, a number on the bottom of the screen in which you can text and give to. Um, you can still come to the church offices and drop off a check. I know a number of you continue to do that. Please remember that if there is anything that we can do, or if you know of a particular need in your life or in the life of somebody else, we are still going to be the church, um, even during these complicated and difficult times. We just do so with masks on. Um, we are looking forward uh, to the rest of this year as it unfolds, believing uh, that sometime in the next 52 weeks, we will actually all be able to gather together in this place to worship, to learn, to eat and drink together, and to celebrate the goodness of our God. Um, we want to close our time this morning in corporate prayer. And we're going to do so by remembering, you've heard me say these words a number of times, the provision and protection of God. And I want to spend some time looking back at 2020. And truly, I know this might sound interesting, but to give thanks to God for His provision and protection in 2020. And then also to ask for that to continue into the future. We do so knowing that He is faithful. Pray with me. 
God, we thank you for what you have done. We admit that this year was a difficult year. We acknowledge that we have been humbled by it in so many ways. We have been frustrated by it in so many ways. Many of us have been discouraged and depressed by it. But God, I thank you. We thank you for being in it. Not just with us, but God for us. We thank you for your provision and for your protection. We thank you for the ways in which you have watched over us. And we do so recognizing that for many of us, we have lost loved ones this year, whether that be to COVID or other circumstances. God, we, we see in the midst of all of that your continued provision and protection. Because we believe, Father, that as the people of God, that we are not just here to live forever, but we are here to be faithful to you until our days on earth are through. And so, God, we, with great humility um, and with a sober awareness of the complications that life can bring, we thank you for what you have done for us in 2020, and we look forward to 2021. And Father, you know our hearts, and you know how much we long for it to be different, for it to be better, for it to be healthier, for it to, for it to be more prosperous. God, I pray as a church that we take all of those hopes and dreams and we give them to you, that we trust you to work them out, that more than just circumstances changing in this next year, we pray that we learn to trust you more, to be grateful for all that you have given to us more. We understand that the future is not promised to us to be better, but Father, the future that is promised to us is provided in your presence, is provided in your care, is provided, Father, by you for our enjoyment with you. And so, God, with that understanding, we hopefully engage our tomorrow. We thank you for everything you have done and will do, all in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen.